Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discussed in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Barren region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Hello and welcome to the second of my two special episodes to commemorate Father's Day here in Australia. In this episode, I welcome Zach Manda to the podcast. Zach is a comedian, radio announcer and a father of two from Brisbane, Australia. Zach has hosted national radio shows on stations such as Two Day FM and Fox FM and he specialises in clever and offbeat content. He is the self-proclaimed Bluey detective, delving into the much-loved Australian kids show and providing many witty observations. If you don't already follow Zach on his social media, I urge you to do so. He has a great sense of humour with really relatable content for parents and Bluey fans alike. I hope you enjoyed today's special episode. Thank you so much for coming on today, Zach. Such a pleasure to welcome you to a special Father's Day episode. Yes, thanks, Alison. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for allowing me in your mum's space. Oh, it's a pleasure. You'd be surprised actually how popular the dad's episodes are. At one point, it was the second most popular episode, one that I'd done a couple of years ago. So, Oh, really? Okay. I think, yeah, I think people are interested to hear from the other side. So, yeah, thank you for indulging us. <laughs> pleasure. So you are, you're a comedian, a radio host, podcaster. Um, how long have you been doing this sort of stuff for? Um, well, since I was in high school, mm-hmm. actually. So I started, uh, we had a pseudo high school radio station where we just really had big speakers that blasted music across the school and we would talk in between. So it was kind of like fake radio and that <laughs> was the first time I ever did anything to do with radio. And really I've been doing that ever since. So 15 plus years and also in school I had um I'd carry a video camera around this is you know well before we had cameras on phones but I did have this like little compact one that would fit in my pocket and so I'd I'd take that around and film videos and things like that so it's been a long time I actually did stand up in high school as well come to think of it um we had a talent quest and um yeah I did stand up a few times in high school yeah. So we, we sort of like as a kid as well, like sort of gathering people's attention by making jokes and doing funny things and that sort of stuff. 
No, not really. Um, it wasn't until high school that I don't know why actually that's, that's interesting. I remember being very interested in funny things. So I had a teacher, Miss Munro when I was in year five and she was funny. And I remember her saying to my parents at a parent teacher interview, she said, Zach gets my jokes and the other kids just stare at me. Yeah. Right. And you know, I, I was really interested in people who were funny and I, I found it captivating and interesting and it, you know, tickled my brain, but it wasn't until later that, you know, I tried to make funny things myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, cause everyone has such a different sense of humor of what they find funny. Um, mm. yeah. And I think some of the, like I work in early childhood education and some of the best relationships I have with kids are the ones who get my jokes because I have this mm. ongoing joke with kids. They come up to you and they'll say, can you put my shoes on? And I'll go, nah, they, they don't fit. <laughs> They're too small for me. And they'll just look at me like, oh, uh. and the ones that laugh, I'm like, righto. <laughs> Yeah, like true. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? You know, you said like everyone has a different sense of humor and I guess that's, they call it a sense of humor, I guess, for a reason, you know, mm. that um, we all have a different sense of it. Yeah. The kids are particularly interesting. Like my daughter's two and a half and I'm noticing her laugh at different things now. It, you know, she'll laugh at things on TV and I'm looking at it and I'm going like, what? Are you, <laughs> I, I don't really understand what the joke is. What is captivating you here and yeah. so uh yeah it's it's really interesting how that develops mm. yeah and I sort of I feel if I can pass on my warped sense of humor to my children I'll be very proud <laughs> to sort of... <laughs> I agree yeah I think that would be a very proud moment with yeah. when your kids start making jokes yeah I sort of feel like it's a good way um I don't know you, you tend to see the world a bit differently I think if you've got that not necessarily I mean comedy is an example, but if you can understand things or see things in a different way to what other people see, it's sort of, it's, I think it's a good way to go through life, sort of questioning things. And like you said, why does your daughter find that funny? Like, you know, you've got that inquiring mind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, yeah. I, my wife's a psychologist. Ah, right. That'd be interesting. And, um, <laughs> it is interesting. And in, in some ways I see similarities like in I, observing and identifying patterns. Mm -hmm. And then I think if you make entertainment or, or funny things, it's like you then comment, subvert, um, make a joke about those patterns. Whereas I see a very similarity with her, whereas, but she will identify patterns and then, you know, uh, find meanings and, you know, help the person, um, yeah. in their life around that type of pattern of behavior. But in, in some ways I'm like, they, they kind of start in the same area. It's like mm. observation, um, yeah. you know, identifying something interesting, but then they kind of divert. And yeah. so, yeah, it is interesting how, um, they can go different ways from the yeah. same base. Yeah. And I was about to say, I don't, your wife's probably not making jokes to the people she's counseling. Probably not. I mean, maybe in some instances if that was appropriate, but yeah. I, mostly I'd say no.
So I'm interested to know, like um, this, you talked about this observational humour. Um, I'm not really a historian when it comes to comedy. Like I know what I find funny and I know what I don't. But when Jerry Seinfeld come along and he'd just make these his his observational style where he'd just say, what's the go with such and such? You know, was that was he like the first guy that started doing that of like just straight out that, that style? I yeah, I don't know. He would have been very early, I think. So, you know, he would have started in the 80s. That was a real stand-up comedy boom. Mm-hmm. And he definitely would have been in the first wave of that style of comedy. And he's definitely the most well-known. Whether mm-hmm. or not he was the first person, I'm not sure. But I also think, you know, that was in a very uh, solid form. Mm-hmm. But I think humans probably, I kind of generally think humans have been the same since they've been around. <laughs> and I think you know, when we were in fields and stuff like that, people were, you know, going like, you know, what's the deal with the lion chasing us? It only ever chases Doug and never Cindy or whatever. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Um, You know, yeah. So I do think people probably found this type of thing funny for a really long time. Mm. Yeah. No, I just thought I'd mention that. You just sprung to mind. Yeah, I'm not sure. Probably, you know, stand-up comedy really was, it existed before the 80s, but it had like a huge boom in the 80s. And that's when he came through. So I don't know, but I would assume that he was in the first. Mm. Um, how would you describe your style of comedy, Zach? I don't know. <laughs> I think some words I would say were like um, uh, offbeat, yeah. um, sarcastic, um, satirical sometimes I would say yeah I'm, I, I'm, I can identify people who like my things often sometimes when I watch something else and I mm-hmm. see something else someone has made and I'm like oh that's uh, so rather than identifying what I am sometimes it's easier to go what you're not so I see something else and it's not that I don't enjoy that or don't think that's good I'm just like oh I would never that would never occur to me to make that joke or to find that interesting and I see the people who are around that style of creator or that style of comedian and I think that's maybe not my audience mm-hmm. um so yeah it's I don't really know no, I'm just you, you, to like, give me a few words I'm, there, which makes sense. Cause I like, obviously I, I'm a fan of yours and follow you on, on the socials. And yeah, it's like, it's quite, it is offbeat, but it's, it's so, um, what's the word? It's not dry. It's not super dry, but it's not like, you're not laughing at yourself necessarily. That makes sense. Yeah. You might, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like treating uh, uh, one kind of framework I might say is like, I try, I like treating very silly things, very seriously. That would be <laughs> yeah. like a way that I would identify. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like the Easter Bonnet Parade one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in putting a lot of effort into things that no one would usually put a lot of effort into. So those are yeah. um, the things I personally enjoy doing the most. And so yeah. that would probably be a reoccurring thing. And that's something that I've yeah enjoyed doing since I was really young i've always it, it delighted me greatly to put a real lot of effort into things that people wouldn't even ever consider now the irony is i should probably put more effort into the things 
that I, you know, like schoolwork and university yeah. work. And like, instead of doing that at school, I would, I remember one day we would often, I had this um, computing class that I only took because I thought I needed to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I enjoyed it at all. And it was before Friday afternoon lunchtime. And that was when we did our radio show. And I remember planning with my friend this whole like heist on how we were going to get out of the class. And so like we got someone to go up and distract the teacher. And then yeah. we literally like army crawled out the door. <laughs> but we weren't going to go down to the creek or behind the shed and smoke or, you know, we we were being um, proactive. We went out and we, you know, sat down and we came up with ideas of what we wanted to talk about the radio show. So we're being creative and mm-hmm. um showing initiative it just wasn't in the way that the school probably wanted us to yeah (laughs) that's funny I was going to ask when you when you were starting to get into your stand up. Was there any particular um, comedians that you can recall that you sort of looked up to or were influences on your style, or was it just something naturally that just you know developed for you? Well, you mentioned Jerry Seinfeld. That was when I was a kid. My parents. That's some of my earliest memories. Is my parents watching and laughing at Seinfeld, the mm-hmm. TV show. And so, and that was my first, you know, encounter with, you know, he does his little stand-up bits at the start. And so definitely early on, and I would even probably wager that like, maybe that was some of my interest was like, if you see your parents paying attention to something, something in my little head said like, oh, if I can do that, maybe mm. I'll get attention from my parents. Yeah. Um, and so definitely Seinfeld early on as I grew teenage years I was obsessed with stand-up comedy mm-hmm. um I would just like listen for hours and hours and hours I, when I left school when I went into an office job I would just have stand-up in my ears but be- this is kind of before podcasting as well so I yeah. just find these stand-up clips so people when I was younger around that formative age Dimitri Martin who's an American yeah. comedian yeah. um very dry one-liners at the time I was kind of trying to emulate him a little bit as doing a lot of one-liners um Zach Galifianakis was another one who was doing kind of this one-line comedy mm-hmm. um I mean there'd be there's heaps of them um yeah I like Maria Bamford who's an American comedian um I was thinking just the other night it, this was never something that I formulated but Daniel Kitson who's a UK comedian was like one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Um, yeah. I saw him 10 years ago. Uh, he's very kind of like alternative, alternative and subversive, but uh, also every comedian in Australia that you've probably heard of. Like I loved everyone. Arj yeah. Barker, I was a huge fan of as a teenager. Yeah. You know, this is pretty internet really. Like the internet existed, but not in the way it does now. And so I would watch those gala nights. Oh, you know, yeah. Those, yeah, and you'd see yeah. heaps of people. And I would even buy the DVDs of those gala nights um, or source them from different areas, like your friends had them and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it was such a different world because oh, now yeah. it would be so easy to find and follow people. But back then yeah. you kind of had to source it out. Mm. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of like, because I'm 40 
nearly 45. So I can relate to what you're saying about not having access to stuff. And years ago, there, on the, one of the comedy festivals, there was this guy and his name was Jeff Green. And mm. like, he's still going around now. But I remember at the time, like, I was obsessed with the, he had this joke about stealing the corner of the bed or something and like a steal, yeah. sorry, not the bed, the, the quilt. And I was yes. like, I, and I wanted to tell everyone about it, but you couldn't like just whip out your phone and like, here, look on YouTube. Um, yes. cause it didn't exist then. And actually I just saw him only like a few weeks ago because he, he's still working and he came down to Mount Gambia with, um, with the International Comedy Festival Roadshow. And I was like, yeah, it was not the same because he's really old now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, that's that's so interesting. <laughs> and I've grown um, up too, so what I find yeah. funny is different too. <laughs> well, it's all, it's also yeah. I think about this a lot. Like as you in any creative field, staying not necessarily relevant. Like it doesn't really matter if you're relevant or not, but mm -hmm. staying uh, fresh in yourself. I think you know mm -hmm. you do see that. It happens a lot to comedians, particularly men, it seems, although the comedy scene is dominated by men anyway, but they, they do get to an age where it's like, oh, you're, it doesn't seem like you're very funny anymore. And I <laughs> yeah. wonder if it's, it could be things like comfort. I wonder, like once comedians find money and, and, um, security, like maybe that kind of edge goes away, maybe it's complacency or maybe, you know, as, but then on the other hand, a lot of comedians kind of get funnier. Some um, hit their best stuff later on. And I've always thought like, how do you stay relevant to yourself and you're, you're yeah. making cool stuff. And I think it's a part of it is like reinventing yourself constantly. And mm. I think early on you take big swings because you have nothing to lose. And then once you have something to lose, I think people dial it back and they no longer take chances. Mm -hmm. Unless you're Ricky Gervais, who just keeps taking chances all the time. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah, a degree so. though, because I guess it's predictable that he is going to do that because that's his thing now, I suppose. Also, I think like, and you would have seen it too, but I mean, more so myself, I guess with the age difference, but like what's culturally acceptable to make jokes about has changed so much. And so I think people that their bread and butter was, you know, particular style of comedy, which, True. you know, may or may not have been appropriate at the time, they'd have to completely change their whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There mm. would definitely be people like that. Uh, there's a lot of people also though, who have changed, yeah. you know, they, they identify that the jokes I used to make are no longer um, deemed appropriate by society. And even by myself, I, mm. you know, this is the comedian speaking and they go like, I, I wouldn't make that joke anymore. Um, so it is possible to, I, I think the idea when people go, well, you know, you're like what the time you exist in is constantly changing. And so if you can't adapt, then I think that's the fault on the performer, not on society. Like society's constantly changing and it's your job to reflect society and mm. comment on that. And so if you're unable to do that in an interesting and constructive and valuable way, then maybe it's your turn is over. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very well put.
So, like, as a creative person, like, I'll put it from my perspective because I'm not a, a comedian. Um, I like to think I say funny things, but, you know, obviously it's not my job. Um, but <laughs> as a musician like, and as a songwriter, like, I feel like I've got to, I've got to use my creativity to process things. When you make your comedy, yeah, are you thinking about what your audience wants or are you literally mm. thinking about what you want to put out there? Uh, a balance between both because, <laughs> you know, uh, in radio, like radio is a medium that sells advertising mm-hmm. um, whilst entertaining people. And there's a commercial reality, which is it's broadcasting. You're trying to be broadly appealing. Mm-hmm. And so you need to think of the audience. On social media, for example, you don't have to if you don't want to. However, in my opinion, like it's if you are an entertainer, it's your job to entertain. And you kind of have to think of things that the audience are going to enjoy. You can be really esoteric if you want to and and do things that are really, you know, purposely make things hard to get or Mm. very strange. And there's a position for those things. But if you want to make it your job, it's a balance. And so I'm fortunate that most of the time those two circles align pretty well. Things I want to say or things I want to do and mostly things I think that the audience will like, sometimes they don't, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's not really, some people really struggle with that. I don't because I've never really wanted to do the things that are usually things you're not allowed to do. Like, like I don't think not swearing, for example, inhibits me at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas that would be a big problem for some people. You know, I can say whatever I want and I want to um, swear and work blue and all mm-hmm. these types of things. That just isn't me. So it's kind mm-hmm. of lucky like yeah. um, that I don't have to change. Really, the stuff I talk about on the radio is largely the things I want to talk about. And so that's really fortunate. Mm. Yeah, you've you've landed in a really good space for what you want to do. It's like yeah, really good. On your bio on Insta, you you call yourself a bluey detective, which is mm. really cool. Um, I I love bluey so much, and often I'll speak mm. to American people on this show, and they'll they'll mention bluey as one of their favourite shows. And I asked a pretty silly question the other day, <laughs> and I asked it. I thought you dickhead, Alison. I said, "Do you do you get all of the humour?" And it was mm. like, "Well, you don't know if you get all the humour because yeah." Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know do you? what you don't know. But that's something I find really interesting. Like we say so many, like there's so much colloquialism on Bluey. Um, like got to be done and all these little sayings. And you think, I wonder what they make of it over there. Um, I think generally they love it. That's yeah. like it's very popular. It's more popular. Well, it's not more popular, but just because of America's massive size <laughs> comparative to Australia, yeah, there'd be well and truly significantly more Americans who watch Bluey than Australians. Mm-hmm. 
and I think they do like Australians, you know, in the the way that it's kind of a strange place, you know, <laughs> and it is a strange place in a lot of ways, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like America, but different. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've, we've got all these, um, slight little weird differences that make us kind of endearing to them. I think that they think we're yeah. a bit special and they've got to, they sort of take us under their wing a bit. Cause I don't know if they feel sorry for us or what, but. Well, Australia, I think is a strange place when you think about it. Like it's this massive island um, in like our animals are truly bizarre. They don't mm. occur anywhere else. If you had never seen a kangaroo, or I never heard that it existed and you lived in North America and you're used to your animals, it would look like someone made it up. Like yeah. it would look like someone had drawn it and brought it to life. It's like, yeah. it stands up on its back legs, but it hops. It has a massive pocket on the front. kind of <laughs> looks like a dog or a deer. Like, like the, it, it, it's a strange place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. What's your sort of favorite I won't say your favourite episode of Bluey, but like, what's the stuff you like on there the most? Yeah, what what are you drawn to mostly about Bluey? I guess. The funnily enough, it's not necessarily the humour, although I, you know, I do like the humour. The thing I enjoy most about Bluey, as a parent, the thing I like the most about for my daughter is that she's watching a story, a well crafted story, mm -hmm. and that has a beginning, middle and end that they're, they're well constructed. And I think that's good to show her that because, um, amongst other things, the humor, I like that, you know, the strong female influences. Um, but you know, I, we watch other TV shows and they just don't, it's just not the same. Um, it's mm -hmm. just not the same level of, um, storytelling. As an adult watching along, I like when you go, hang on, are they, do they mean this? Like they have these really subtle underlying storylines that are sometimes very deep or very serious things. And it's never super overt. And mm -hmm. I really like that. I like going, I think they mean this. And there was an episode that played uh, just the other day while we're recording this, where um, they go on an adventure together in their drawings. Yeah. It's called um, Dragon. Yep. And, you know, so they all draw themselves and then those characters go off and they become this cartoon quest or this cartoon series. And at the start of the episode, we learn that Chili's such a good, she's so good at drawing horses because of the influence of her mum. <laughs> and, you know, so that's just kind of not a throwaway comment, but it's kind of like 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then six minutes later or seven minutes later, they finish their quest and they're getting back in the car and Chili has been on this horse the whole time. And, you know, she, the horse doesn't get into the car and she says, you're not coming with us, are you? And, you know, the horse shakes its head and then she goes, well, thank you for everything. Mm -hmm. And the horse grows wings and flies away. And I was like, yeah, oh sorry, I'm goodness. just I'm I'm like, emotional. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but it does was that the same. too, it does I was the same and I was like, are they, is the horse her, her mum? I'm like, yeah. this is really moving. And um, that's never overt. Like a kid doesn't pick up on it or, mm. um, I'm sorry to make you emotional. I, did. I didn't mean to. Um, 
If Bluey did so it. I, it, it, it made me the same way. I was saying yeah. to my wife, I had, I had like chills. And I was like, are they implying, is that? It, and you kind of, it's never hit over their head, but they're very yeah. subtle things that are like very moving. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is um, the thing. And it's about, there's relationships. So it's often about, it could be about their parents, you know, chilling with her dad where she flashes forward or uh, flashes back the dad says like it feels like just yesterday to me yeah. um yeah. bluey when she's with um she meets the kid um when she's camping and they play together oh, and they plant yeah, a seed and then yeah, there's this love that one. montage of the tree growing and then she comes back as a teenager and yeah. they see each other again um the the flat pack episode where oh they're going through like the whole of human civilization mm-hmm. and they're like is this about like a greater being <laughs> like, <I'm> like, <laughs> and then even the um episode about the dump where mm-hmm. you know their drawings they throw it in the recycling so it can be um pulped and made into another piece of paper for another kid to use yeah. and um but at the start they're talking about does does bandit know everything you know what happens i think she says where was i before i was born or or something like that Mm. you know and then they use the the paper and the recycling as this kind of symbolism of of and then they're driving away and it's sunset and um they they re address that question and Mm. and bandit says to bluey well where, where do you you know Oh, she says, um, do you think my drawing was someone else's drawing before I, you know, my paper was someone else's paper? And Bennett says, well, what do you think? And she looks out the window and it's like this beautiful sunset. She goes, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And I'm like, are they, is that about, like, I'm like is that about, like, reincarnation? <laughs> or is that about, like, you know, life beyond our reality? Mm. And I'm like, this is a kid's show. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty profound, isn't it? It's almost like an existential sort of exploration of humanity. Very existential. <laughs> yeah. And but, so I'm bawling on the couch uh, and my daughter's like, what? what yes. why, why are you crying? Yeah, and I love that, that it, you can take it at so many levels. Like you said, like you, it's not in your face for the kid that, you know, Chili's mum, you know, is passing away. And, and, and I think that's a good thing about that show is it doesn't take away a parent's opportunity to talk about, to something about a child that, that they might not be ready for. So it's mm. like some shows might be like, like literally show everything. And then mum's like, Oh Jesus, I didn't, I didn't want to tell this, my kid about this yet, you know, but it's just out, taken yeah. out of your hands. But that's why I feel like Bluey's good. Like um, the episode with when Chili's sister came to visit mm. and no. they imply, you know, she wasn't able to have children and no, no child that's watching it is necessarily going to get that. No. Um, but it's just so profound. All the things they talk about. Um, and talking about crying, that the sleepy, the sleepy time episode. Oh, yeah. I just have to hear the music for that, yeah, and I, I just get goosebumps. And um, my son wanted to buy the book. There's a really beautiful big book of it, and I was like, "Oh, don't, please don't buy that. Please don't buy that." Because <laughs> now I have to cry every time. But it's it so is, beautiful. It is really beautiful, and I think I'm just realizing now as we talk about it, people. Bluey wasn't the first show to do humor on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I don't know what the first was, but I do remember being a kid and that's what I remember parents talking about that. Cause I was a child about Shrek, which was what, maybe 2000. I remember them saying like, oh, there's jokes that adults get in there as well. 
And to me, it felt like that that was new. Maybe that had been around a little bit, but so, but so Bluey does humor on multiple levels well as well. But I'm just thinking now, I wonder if it's the first show to kind of do emotions on multiple levels, mm. um, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly gets you good, doesn't it? You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. I want to ask you about the exercise episode um, where, for people who don't know, there was a, the beginning, um, oh, it's probably easy if you just watch it, but there was some stuff that people were sort of saying, oh, this is a bit too much focusing on your weight as being a problem in, in your life and what uh, chilli on the scales, like sighing that she's, you know, weighs too much or whatever. The fact that they actually changed it, you know, it just I think it shows how, but, you know, they're able to listen to the broader voice of society and recognise that maybe, you know, something's not quite right and be able to adjust it, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I loved that they changed it. Mm-hmm. It was, in my opinion, a rare misstep. Um, I was after um you know talking to some people and hearing some people's experiences um fully on board with it needing to be changed um it was something but I, I i don't want my daughter thinking that a scale is should influence how she sees herself um i don't want her growing up thinking that she should how she sees herself should be dictated by a number on a machine. Mm, Um, And so I, you know, I was, it was disappointing that that had happened. I'm really personally, my honest opinion is that I'm really happy that they changed it and uh, not proud, but like a kind of like, it's like you, you know, people go, I've seen comments where people go, well, cancel culture or, mm. or the woke mob gone mad or, 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 you know, whatever the comment is I'm thinking, but this is a good example. I think of someone not quite getting something right, mm-hmm. listening to the response and adjusting it. I don't, that's not canceling at all. Mm. Like we're not, the, like the episode's still there in, in, debatably better mm. well you know yeah. sorry in my opinion much better but it's yeah. not it doesn't take away from the story at all yeah there's that's nothing it, yeah. there's no damage no one is hurt by it being changed however people might have been hurt and in my opinion it was an, an, a negative um image to display to to young people mm. the way it was and so i do think it it was hurtful before so it's just a positive thing and 
I think we should encourage people that if, if you have a misstep, if you make a mistake, yeah, like listen to what people are saying, take it on board, mm. make changes where you can. Yeah. And, and they're not too sort of, um, I don't know what the word is arrogant to say, no, this is it. This is what we're presenting. Take it or leave it. You know, they're actually, you know, show their humanity and to reflect on what, what's, um, like we're talking about before with the comedians, you know, what's sort of acceptable and appropriate to, to show and talk about particular, in particular ways. Yeah. It is a particular thing that is, I was kind I was pretty surprised that I know that the show would go through a lot of filters Mm. and I was, I was kind of surprised that it made it through those filters. Um, however, I do think in its evidence, if you look through comments and I had to stop looking through comments because it was making me, (laughs) it's like getting me kind of uh, hot under the collar, Mm. but it's evidence that if you don't have experience in those areas, you can't see what the issue is. Mm. However, if you listen to people who do have experience in those areas and if you listen to the experts in those areas, it was pretty clear in, mm. in my opinion that there were issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was kind it was very, I had to, I had to stop reading <laughs> because it was like, it was, it was getting, it was getting me too amped up. Oh yeah. <laughs> There'd be a different kind of comedy coming out of you. <laughs> As a result of reading those comments, yeah, oh God. It's, it's pretty that's hard. A, that's hurtful. a whole different thing. It's like you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, and my opinions on this change from time to time, and I'm, you know, growing my understanding. But I'm, I just think comment sections, I, that they're not a place for nuanced conversations. <laughs> No, it's just, yeah, they're not, they're not great. And I notice some, like, I don't know if it's happening more often, but people are actually turning off the comments and not yeah. allowing people to make comments, which is, I think it's better because it's, it's, there's no, I don't think anything positive can come from a conversation in the comment section. Well, it's interesting early on with TikTok. So I joined TikTok in 2020, like a lot of people did during the pandemic mm-hmm. and it, it's still a little bit this way, but I remember early on, it was really like the comments, are, there was kind of a saying, the comments are better than the videos. Like yeah. they, like everyone was like really funny and creative and the comment sections generally were really great. Yeah. Um, you know, and different people would have different experiences, but in, in my experience, that was the case for a while. It has, maybe it's as things grow and they become more diluted as more and more people come on they kind mm. of all become the same and homogenized. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's, um, yeah, there are places where comment sections are better than other sections. There are some that are really toxic, some that are pretty good and mm. then a bit in between. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I had this chat with someone, I can't remember who it was, that's irrelevant, but the fact that you never, I don't think you're ever going to change someone's mind through the comment section, like someone who's got this really firm held belief, you can talk as rationally as you like to them and they're not going to stop and go, hmm, actually, now that one person has said that to me, I'm going to, you know, reassess my entire belief system that I've held my whole life. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think by the time it depends what the t topic is, but uh, they're not in a position to change their minds either. They're at war. Mm, you know, yeah, that's it. You know, well, I'm on that. the front lines here fighting for my ideology, mm. and you don't. When you're on the front lines of a war, you don't often jump to the other team, do you? Like it's <laughs> like yeah. that's not the place to be. Um, I'm not sorry. It's not not the place to be discuss, discussing it. But you can, if, if that's how you choose to discuss it, you can go for it. But I I see people def, uh, defending ideologies. You know, both ideologies I agree with and ones I don't in my comment section and i i do think to people who i agree with i'm like all power to you you keep fighting but i yeah. couldn't that's too much i i couldn't there's i see comments pop up from months ago people people will talk for months back and forth yeah I'll go, i'm like guys it, like, this isn't going anywhere <laughs> like, yeah. like you just i think you just need to drop this and move on yeah, like, that's you, it. neither of you have, have budged an inch in yeah. two months it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the stalemate on the front lines. Um, yeah, uh, however, so, to be yeah. fair, there has been occasions where people were go at each other. I have noticed in comment sections, in my comment section sometimes where I get a notification, and I think like, oh, that was pretty harsh. Mm. Um, and I'm like, should I delete that? Should I, you know, should I step in and say something? There have been occasions where... I'll go, oh, I'll just leave it. And then a few hours later, the person will go, um, you know what that was? I'm sorry that I, you know, I, I snapped back a bit hard there that I didn't mm -hmm. mean to do that. Um, or, or, to them. <laughs> or I have also seen on occasions, not firmly held ideologies, but over, over smaller things, they will go like, you know, I do understand that now. Thanks. <laughs> like, mm, so it's, it's not like it's impossible I just think what I'm talking about is where um, whatever it is triggers something bigger. And mm -hmm. I see that occasionally. I made a video about um, that. I, that I don't think that it's a good way to learn how to swim by randomly throwing a kid into a lake, which was, a, I used a scene as an illustration from an old John Wayne movie where he tosses yes. his kid into a lake. Yeah. And I thought, that would be really universal. That was a real lesson for me. I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people who have different opinions to me. And there was a lot of people who agreed. A majority, yeah. like there was vast more people who saw it did agree, but there were a lot of people who pushed back. But there were a lot of comments on that video, which was a video about a parenting style that used words like uh, soy milk, <laughs> uh, uh, pronouns, drag queens yep um and obviously people had seen it and identified it as a political statement and so made assumptions mm -hmm. that this one thing represented this big thing yeah and so yeah. and so that is something that i think these people engulf their whole lives that would be a way they see themselves mm -hmm. you know i see myself as this certain political alignment and all the content I consume is like this. And then when I'm on the internet um, and I see a video that I think contradicts that, I'm going to make a comment about how this guy's a soy boy or something like that. And I'm like, that's the type of person that one comment on the internet saying like, well, actually that, you know, science has come a long way and you know, we don't, we don't, we, that's maybe not the best way to do this anymore. That's mm. not going to change their opinions. No, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that funny though, that you've got to, 
almost got to police yourself so much because of the associations people are going to make with things like that. You know, they're just going to go, they're just going to jump on it. So there's a, a, yeah, a lady who I had on the podcast, um, who's a, she's a feminist and she's a, anyway, she observes things, right? So her, she doesn't tell you what you should do with your parenting style. She takes, um, you know, looks at all these different styles and gives, you know, her opinion on them and an educated opinion, you know, like she's been in academia for a long time and a lecturer. So it's not just, you know, me, someone like me just going, Hey, this is really great. Or this isn't. And uh, she's got to be really careful too, because the things she takes it from like the crunchy mums or the, um, the, Oh, what are they called? The what, the wives, something wives. Oh, I can't think what they're called now, but like um, people will straight away see that video and think that, that's what she is. So she's, and that something blew up for her not long ago. And she actually went, okay, people like I've, I've noticed this is what's happening. Um, please can we not do this anymore? And I'll be careful what I do sort of thing, you know, to, yeah. to clear the air with everybody. Cause it, it just turned into a bit of a, a bit of a shit show for a bit. So yeah, that's the thing you, you, when you're in that space, I mean, luckily I haven't had that, that happen to me, but I'd be conscious too of like reflecting, I try to stay down the middle. Like I, I do share on this podcast my political views, mostly because the people I interview feel the same way. So we can chat about stuff. Um, or mm. if I'm talking to an American, I find it really interesting to see what they think, depending on what state they're in of, of how they mm. feel about things, you know, and I'm not saying things, are, uh, you know, this is right or this is wrong. I'm just talking about it. So I also have to be a little bit careful that I'm not seen as pushing a certain agenda, um, which I'm a bit mindful of. But anyway, people know what I think. <laughs> If you don't like it, just don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's been um, that particular video was a learning curve for me not to make assumptions mm. on what other people might think. But it's only been since making parenting videos that I've had a few instances of this because before I was a parent, you know, as I said, most of the things were taking silly things seriously. So it rarely offended people <laughs> or like, yeah. or yeah. not offended, but. Um, elicited a strong response mm. um I, and so yeah I do I am on a journey of yeah that that self-filtering is um interesting you know trying to take on different perspectives of um how this will be perceived not to say that you shouldn't say it but mm. um yeah, I, I just don't know if I'm the person. There's some things I am confident to express. Yep. And then there's some other times where I was like, well, you know, with parenting, I'm not a parenting expert. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> well, am I the person <laughs> who, A, is who should be sharing about this? Do I have the knowledge in the background to back it up? Or have I just heard it somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And then I also think I'm not a parenting educator. Like, I'm the parenting content I make is meant to be relatable and fun and it's meant to alleviate or to create some uh, humor in what can be some difficult times for people. Mm-hmm. That's what my goal is. It's not. And so sometimes I do think like, Oh, well leave that up to the people who know what they're talking about. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. Um, so speaking of, of parenting um, comedy, um, you, so you've got your daughter, you've got an, an, a little fella who's, how old is he now? He's not that old, is he? Yeah, Finch is four months old. Four months old. And there was a lovely um, 
<laughs> Very funny post you put up the other day about the pockets in the baby clothes. Yeah. It's just like, like you see it all the time as a parent. And it's like, I loved that you made that connection and just, you know, re- like, cause you see it and sometimes you just forget that it's there, but to actually call it out and go, now, hang on. I don't think my child really needs pockets in his shorts when he's mm. four months old. And I loved that it, it got some traction to one of, was it the, one of the UK sites picked it up and, and, um, promote, yeah, yeah who the, was, independent. Which, the independent, that's right. Yeah. So stuff like that. That's good. You know, <laughs> we can all have a laugh about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, is true. Um, (laughs) that was the first time I had observed that. Um, but you know, I wasn't the first to make that observation, which has been pointed out to me now. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it is something that lots of people can relate to. Yeah. Mm. So do you find that, like, obviously we all know parenting is really hard. It, it's, you know, the lack of sleep, the challenges, the, you know, the, the the pressure it puts on yourself and your relationship and all that sort of stuff. Do you find that, that working through that with your comedy, is that a release for you? Does that sort of help you get through tough times? Um, I wouldn't say, I think making things, yeah, like being creative is really important to me um as self-expression and i think self-expression helps you understand yourself and in and how you feel about yourself you know i want to be being creative and i want to be creating things uh parenting makes that parenting makes everything more difficult mm-hmm. <laughs> like um so yeah, it, it, it comes with challenges, but I, I never stopped. When I had my first child or when we had our first child in 2020, I was unemployed and it was during COVID. So it was a very strange time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think creating things helped me just with a sense of like having something well, you know, even before we had the, the kid in 2020, Peaches, mm-hmm. you know, have something to do that day, basically. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like some type of sense of achievement at the end of the day. Um, but I also got that sense of achievement from parenting as well. You know, the, the, the times that you were, uh, the first times I was able to look after the kids myself, I did feel like a sense I have achieved something today. Mm. Um, which, but yeah, definitely being creative helps out as well. Mm, yes, for sure. Absolutely.
I want to ask about this the specific question about mum guilt. It's something that, that all I talk to all my mums about on the podcast. It's this sort of universal thing that people people know about and they either feel it or they don't, which I think is wonderful. And I find that interesting too, that differences in people, you know. Um, is that something that you've sort of heard about or so two parts of the question, I guess. Um what your thoughts on it are, I guess, and if, and I'm not asking you to, you know, divulge private things about your life, but, you know, is it something that you're conscious of with your partner? And secondly, do you think there is such a thing as dad guilt in the same, I mean, I suppose it can't be the same way because it's slightly different, but yeah, just what's mm. your overall thoughts on that, I guess. Um, my overall thoughts on mum guilt. I think mums carry, well, parents, but generally mums are like, carry a lot of guilt um you know that and i you know i don't think that's very fair because they're doing a great job mm. but you know sometimes i think some people feel like that they could be doing more or they're not doing the right job or they're not doing it right or yeah something like that and that's not true you know it's the type of thing that i think if you're asking that question, then you do care, mm. you know, it's like, if you're, if you're conscious of that, that means you are doing a great job because you're, you're trying to do the best for your kids and that's, you, you're doing it mm. <laughs> by even thinking of that question. But the fact that that question is coming up for you is a sign that you are doing a great job. Mm. It, uh, I can't speak to, I think mum guilt sometimes comes around like working. Um, oh. I can't speak to that on behalf of mums. I have experienced a small amount of that myself. And so I do think I haven't spoke to other dads. I'm sure they experience a similar thing, but I definitely like, I work strange hours in radio. So sometimes late at night, sometimes early in the morning. Oh. And these are times, you know, my daughter, is uh she'll sometimes scream and say like don't go and you know that that's very difficult mm. to leave and i i do think like oh am i doing the right thing by working these strange hours because you know should i when she's going to bed at night should it be really consistent that she knows who's going to be there tucking her in mm. uh when she's wake up in the morning should it be really consistent like you know i i feel guilty about you know it makes me really sad to feel you know the idea that she wake up and you know dad's not there in the morning because he's gone to work mm -hmm. so i do feel guilt around that but i also feel like in my instance in the way that i process it is like there's benefits and um there's downsides and upsides to a lot of things and in my instance the downside is working strange hours. There are difficulties around bedtimes and wake up times. Mm -hmm. The upside is I'm often very flexible during the day. Yeah. And so I'm often around a lot and I might be doing some work from home, but it's very flexible. Mm -hmm. I am able to go to things if I need to, or, or look after them for a little while. If, if there's some type of, you know, parenting disaster, yeah. And so I do think like, oh, if I was working a conventional job mm. for a lot of dads, if you're working nine to five and you're in a, the city and you live in the suburbs and you're not getting home to 6.30, you have very limited time to see the kids during the week. Mm. 
And so I think like, that's a huge challenge that people have. Mm -hmm. And so I have, we have our challenges, but if I was doing the other one, there would be challenges as well. Mm, so yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I rationalize it myself. I'm like, well, you know, that you, you, I feel guilty about this, but then if I was doing the other one, I'd probably feel guilty as well. So mm. yeah. Yeah. And, and like, well, we have to work. <laughs> yeah. It's a reality of yeah. life, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. You just, you, you make it work how best you can. I think that's what the, one of the themes that keeps coming through when I chat to mums is like, we, I think we all, I mean, maybe there's been two people I've spoken to. One person didn't even know what mum guilt was. They had to Google it. Mm. And I thought that was pretty amazing. But yeah, we yeah. all, we all feel, and we all sort of like that, like try to make it work as best we can and be kind to ourselves and know that, like you said, if we're even questioning it, you know, <laughs> we're already a good mum. Yeah, hundred percent. I think generally I do. So I do think dad guilt is a thing. What dads generally don't get is the societal pressure to mm. dads get it pretty easy in the sense of like, you know, there's a classic kind of trope of like, um, you know, the dad's got the kids at the playground. It's like, oh, he's a, wow, such a great dad. Yeah. Whereas for a mum, yeah, no one blinks an eyelid and just goes, well, of course, mum mm. has the kids at the playground. That's a part of being a mum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's the pressure and the judgment um, that's put on mums is significantly different to what's put on dads. That goes for the internet too, by the way. When I talk about comment sections and things like that, I know for a fact very well that I get it significantly easier than women, uh, people in minorities, and, and also people who are educators in areas like parenting and stuff like that. I look through some of those comment sections. I thought, how do you deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, that must be so difficult. So, yeah, guys get much easier, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway. Hopefully, I'm hoping, and I look to my daughter, and I hope, and I'm optimistic that she's going to grow up in a better world um, that's moving to being a better place for her. Mm. And I think it is. I hope it is. Oh, I feel like it is. I mean, just by having conversations about stuff and, and challenging each other, I feel like, you know, that's what gets the ball rolling. Because I was think, speaking to someone the other day about this, like you can't just do one big thing and everything's going to change. Like it's all these little things, all the little steps and all the little things shifting to try and, you know, move that. I don't know what the word is. You know, that thing that moves. Yeah. It's slow. Um, I think the younger generation are pretty cool. Mm. They're, they're making some good moves. So, yeah, I do get hopeful. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a lovely note to end on, Zach. Thank you for coming on. It's been so nice talking to you. And thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability and for your, for your funniness too. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure being on. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Alison. Awesome. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or 
even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. 